How many people here remember art class when you were a kid? Art, going your first art class, right? Remember art class? And when you did art, like, did it look like this? You know, like uh, clay, you know, I got my first lump of clay and they give you this lump of clay and they say to you, hey, I want you to uh, make something of that. And I'm like, you know, in elementary school, I'm like, I don't know what to make. I've never th thrown a pot. And that's not what we said back, back then. But I've never created any pottery. So, so I turned to the kid next to me and said, what are you going to make? And he says, I'm going to make an ashtray, which is, tells you a lot about my generation, right? We're going to make <laughs> ashtrays. So, you know, it's basically a pinch pot and you go around and you leave a place for a cigarette. That's what we did. So anyway, they take it away and they fire it up in the kiln, they bring it back to you, and you paint it, and then they glaze it, and then they put it back in the kiln, bring it back. And at the end of that project, you're like, wow, this is awesome, right? You know, I created something, I made something, and maybe it was a painting, maybe it was, maybe, I don't know what it was for you, or maybe, how many people actually did clay in, in like art class, remember doing that, right? And so we all do that, and maybe we're doing it with our kids today as well. And, but there's this kind of sense of accomplishment, right? That's, there's a sense of like, hey, I created this, right? I would say to you that that's actually the way you were created. Like, think about it. Like God, if we're created in the image of God, we've been talking about in this series, blueprints, that this blueprint exists within us, that we're created in the image of God, the, the blueprint of God is in us. Think about that. If God is a creator, then you and I are created to create as well, right? We, we're created to, to do something in the world. We're created to make a difference in the world. We're created to produce and to make a difference in the world. What, it doesn't necessarily need to be art. It could be something else. And today we're going to be talking about just our career, like our vocation. And we'll talk a little bit about this word called calling uh, today as well. But you think about this, you know, this creating part of us, this job part of us, this work part of us is actually part of our image, the image of God within us. When Adam was created, the first human was created in Genesis chapter 2, we're going to take a look at that this morning. Notice that the first thing before the other human is even created is there's this, this is what God does with Adam. It says in Genesis chapter 2 verses 15 through 19, I'm kind of condensed some of it. It says this, the Lord God took the human and settled him in the garden of Eden to farm it and take care of it. That's a job. First thing God, that Adam got was a job. The Lord God formed from the fertile land all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky, and brought them to the human to see what he would name them. And the human gave each living being its name. Again, here we find Adam is a zoologist, right? Adam is a, is a, is a, is a, is a scientist. And so he's got a role, he's got a purpose, he's got a job to do. He's got basically a career, a lifelong career naming the animals. I don't know how long that took, right? But he's got this lifelong career doing this and taking care of things. And notice that this was like, this is before things go bad, right? So our, our, we're created to actually be productive, basically. We're, we're, we're created to be creative. Now the problem comes later. Work becomes a curse. Work becomes toilsome and hard and difficult after the fall of Adam and Eve, after they sin, after they decide, hey, I'm going to go my own way. Then all of a sudden, notice the, the, what happens to work is it becomes a pain in the neck, right? It becomes toilsome. It becomes a burden. That's when, but yet we're created for it, and yet we have tainted it as well. And if you remember, we talked about how, you know, if you had blueprints that you were trying to follow and you spilled coffee on them, that would mar the image of the blueprints. It'd be hard to read them. And that's what sin does to our careers and to our work as well. It mars it and makes it something that was never created to be. And I would say that even today, 
as we've lived through what's something called the Industrial Revolution that happened over the past, you know, 100, 200 years, is that there's something that's happened about work that also plays into this. And think of like this quote from Henry Ford, the creator of the automobile. He said, why is it I get a whole person when all I need is a good pair of hands, right? See, what has happened in our work world is that as we're looking, where employers are looking at employees, we're looking at them to do a job, their utilitarian viewpoints. We forget that the people that work in our organizations in our, our whole people, they have souls, they have minds, they have brains, they have opinions, they, have, they love things, they hate things. You know, all these things go on inside of a person. And yet in our industrial revolution, modern work mindset, it's all about, well, I just need you to do this job, this one thing. And we forget that God created us whole people. And I don't think that's the way that God created us to live either or to work, Right? We're going to look today at a parable that's going to take a look at our our career. A lot of times people uh, take this parable and they apply it to money, but I want to apply it today to what God has given us in terms of who we are as people, as whole people, and what is God calling us to do? What is God asking us to do with our lives, our careers, our vocations? So here it is. I'm going to read through the whole parable. Uh, If you want to follow along, I'm in Matthew chapter 25. We're going to read verses 14 to 30. I'm reading out of a version of the Bible called the Contemporary English Version uh, or CEB Bible. So if you're on your phone app and you want to follow along in the same version, you can hit CEB uh, or you can just look at the slide behind me and that'll be there too. So you don't even have to take, we made it so easy for you to read scriptures morning. So here it is. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who was leaving on a trip. And he called his servants and handed his possessions over to them. To one he gave five valuable coins, and to another he gave two, and to another he gave one. And he gave to each servant according to that servant's ability. Then he left on his journey. After the man left, the servant who had five valuable coins took them and went to work doing business with them. He gained five more. In the same way, the one who had two valuable coins gained two more, but the servant who had received the one valuable coin dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received five valuable coins came forward with five additional coins and said, Master, you gave me five valuable coins. Look, I've gained five more. His master replied, Excellent. You are a good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll put you in charge of much. Come celebrate with me. Second servant also came forward and said, Master, you gave me two valuable coins. Look, I've gained two more. His master replied, Well done. You are a good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll put you in charge of much. Come celebrate with me. Now the one who received one valuable coin came and said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man. You harvest grain where you haven't sown. You gather crops where you haven't spread seed. So I was afraid, and I hid my valuable coin in the ground. Here, you have what's yours. His master replied, you evil and lazy servant. You knew that I harvest grain where I haven't sown, and that I gather crops where I haven't spread seed. In that case, you should have turned my money over to the bankers so that when I return, you could give me what belonged to me with interest. Therefore, take from him the valuable coin and give it to the one who has 10 coins. Those who have much will receive more, and they will have more than they need. But as for those who don't have much, even the little bit they will have be taken away from them. Now take the worthless servant and throw him outside into the darkness. People there will be weeping and grinding their teeth. 
tough ending. The point is, is what are you doing with what God has given you? That's a good question when it comes to our job, our career, our vocation, whatever you want to call your purpose, right? What are we doing with it? And are we doing something with it, right? As a whole person, we talk about this. I want to retranslate one part of this passage, though. And it's that part where it says, come celebrate with me. At the end of the five, you know, the person with five comes back with five more. The person with two comes back with two more. I actually want to retranslate that part that says, come celebrate with me. Because I think it, it this is how I would retranslate it. It, said, and it would say this, enter into the joy of the Lord. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Remember when you were a kid and you made your first art project? Did you hopefully experience a little bit of joy? Because you created something, right? There was purpose. There was, you did something, right? Something outside of yourself. That's what we're talking about. That our work, our career, our vocation was actually meant to bring us joy. Before the fall, before it got tainted, that we're actually about entering into the joy of the Lord when we're doing things that God has called us to do and we're practicing those things and living out that life as a whole person that God has put before us. That's when we enter into the joy. It's when, and we'll look at this today, that third servant is when we reach misery. So, so maybe be thinking about that as you look at your job this morning, as your career, or maybe something you're thinking about. Think about that. Are you experiencing misery or joy? And where are those places you're experiencing? Because I think that can help us understand what God is calling us to do with our lives. So I'm going to use an illustration this morning I've used before uh, about different things, but I think it applies here as well. And it's an illustration that may be very helpful for you. If you're a, if you're a college student and you're thinking about what do I do next, right? This is a great illustration to be thinking about to help discern, to think about what's the next thing that God may be calling to me to after college. Maybe you're mid-career right now. Maybe you're in a job and you're kind of like, am I in the right spot? Am I doing what God wants me to do? Or do I need to make a change? Or maybe some of you are looking at retirement. You're thinking, oh, I'm getting ready to retire. What would I do after I retire? You know, because in the Bible, retirement doesn't exist as a biblical concept. And so, so I don't think our purpose goes away, even though our finances go away when we retire, right? We, we make less money, so to speak, or we live off of our savings. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that we just go about our leisure, right? If you look at the garden, uh, the passage where Adam and Eve were created, notice that Adam's put in the garden to work it. It's not a le place of leisure. A lot of people think, oh, a garden must have been nice. They must have been lounging around eating fruit and, you know, just having a good old time. But no, no, the first thing that's happening is care for creation, right? Stewardship of creation. So immediately, this, the garden concept is not a place of leisure and just like doing whatever we want. It's actually purposeful. And so we think about that. So here's the illustration I want you to think about. There are three areas in this illustration, three parts of it. And I think when all these three points, all these compasses point in the same direction, we've got a sense of which direction we're to be going with our careers, our vocation. So here are the three areas. Let me unpack the three areas. The first one is calling. Calling is a word that we use in the church that means passion or uh, like something that we feel God is asking us to do, that, like that we have an interest or a passion or a desire to do something and make a difference in the world. Sometimes it could even be like what I would, what's been called, I wouldn't call it, but others would call it a holy discontent. Like you see something wrong in the world and you want to address it, you want to do something about it, and you have a passion to do it, you have a desire to do it. 
maybe that's part of your calling. That's what, something that God has put on your heart to inspire you to do something, right? So that's a, what we say is a calling. It's another word for that is vocation, uh, which is uh, the word for career vocation as well. So that's part of it. And where is that compass pointing, right? The second one is gifts. Now, gifts are those things that you're good at. Like, those are, there are some things that you, each of you and I, we all do better than other things, right? There are some things we're better at than others. And we all have that in different proportions. Just like in the parable, you know, not everybody gets the same amount. You and I, too, we, are not all the, we don't have the same amount of gifts and skills. And I don't want you, I don't really think of this in a way as like, well, I'm better than somebody else at this or better than, but really there are things I'm good at and there's things I'm not good at compared to me, not compared to other people. And so there are other people who are going to be better at something than me. There are going to be other people that are worse at something than me. That's not the point. The point is, what am I good at? What has God called me to do? What has God gifted me to do? And am I using those gifts in, in, a, in a way that God's asked me to use them? So that's what I have to wrestle with, not the amount, but what am I doing with what God has given me? So you think about it that way. So those are your gifts, your abilities, your talents, those things that you're good at, you know, and there's some, and you have to figure that out. Part of life is figuring that out. You know, I've learned over the years I'm better at preaching than I am at singing. You know, you don't see me on the worship team, right? Because I, I love singing. I have a passion for singing. I love worship, but you're not going to want me doing it for you, right? You don't want me leaning like Ed does because that's not my gift. That's not my talent, right? So you have to be wise about that. Then the third thing is opportunity. That's the other thing. Not all of us have the same opportunities. Not all of us are given the same opportunities. And so we all have differing opportunities at different times in our lives. The question is, what opportunities are we given and what are we doing with those opportunities? Everybody on the planet has a different opportunity based on where you're born, where you live, where you're raised, right? So think about that. There are people on other, other parts of the world that do not have the same opportunities that you and I have, right? So we have calling, we have gifts, we have opportunities, all of us. And we all have them in different proportions, different ways, right? The question is, are we, what are we doing with that calling, with those gifts, with those opportunities? A great example of this out of the Bible is a guy named David. David was a teenager, basically a teenager, and he was watching his father's sheep. And his dad says, hey, I want you to take lunch to your brothers who are on the front lines of the battle with this group called the Philistines. So David goes off, he takes pizza, well, it probably wasn't pizza, but it was bread. Maybe some cheese, I don't know. So they took the bread down to the front lines to his brothers to feed lunch to them. And he goes to the battlefield and all the Israelite soldiers are hiding from this big guy, giant called Goliath, who comes out on the field and is taunting the Israelite army. And what happens inside of David is he starts to get mad. He starts to get passionate. He starts to get this feeling of like, isn't anybody going to stand up to this bully? Isn't anybody going to stand up to this guy? Like, why are you guys all hiding in the ditch? You know, why, why aren't you guys getting out there and doing something? So he, he's got this holy discontent. He's got this passion in him. He's, he's feeling called to do something about what's happening, right? And then he says, he finally says, I'll do something about it, right? He says, I'll do something about it. And so they said, well, you, you know, you sure? You know, you know and they, he's a, a teenager, and finally, what they did was then they tried to say, okay, well, let's, make, let's microwave you into a warrior. So you put this armor on, you take this sword, you take this shield, and they try and make him into somebody he's not. And, and he basically says, no, this, isn't, this is not who I am. This is not how God gifted me. This is not the skills that I have. This is not my talent. I'm not a warrior. I'm a shepherd. And I know how to fend off wild animals. So 
just give me some stones in my slingshot, right? What is he saying? Just let me do work with my skills, the talents that God has already given me and that I've already developed, right? Don't try and make me somebody I'm not, which is part of our calling and part of our gifting and is figuring that out. And so he says, just let me go to battle with that. And then what does he have? He's got an opportunity. Why does David have an opportunity to fight Goliath? Because nobody else was doing it. Nobody else was stepping up. Nobody else was doing anything. I think if you're in a position today and you're looking around and nobody is stepping forward to do something about what God's put on your heart, maybe you're the one God's asking to step forward. Maybe you're the one that God's calling. If nobody else is stepping forward and you want to see something done, you want to see something different in the world, maybe that's God calling you. Maybe that's part of it. See, all these three things go together. And in David, that's exactly what happened. He had the passion, he had the skills, and he definitely had the opportunity. And we've been hearing that story of David and Goliath ever since because he did that. So all of us different amounts. The bottom line is when we do that, that's when we enter into the joy of the Lord. That's when we discover the joy of the Lord. When those three things are lined up, when those three compasses start to align up in our lives, that's when we experience the joy rather than the misery of work, right? But we didn't talk about the third steward, did we? The third steward is the one who didn't produce anything. In fact, he was afraid. It says he was afraid. And because of his fear, because of his, him being afraid, he took the coin and he buried it. And what he did was he took his gifts, he took his talents, he took his calling, and he didn't do, even take an opportunity to put it in the bank. So he took all those things and he buried it. Why did he bury it? And it's something that reads the same reason that we bury our calling, our gifts, our opportunities. Fear of failure. We're afraid we're going to fail. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid that we're not going to do it. And some of us are in work environments where risk-taking and calling is not endorsed, right? We're, we're afraid because we're in this environment that where if we take a risk, we're afraid of failing and we'll be punished for it in some way. And so we just hide our gifts. We hide our calling, right? That's exactly what the third steward does. And as hard as this parable is, it actually says when we do that, we're, we're failure. We're miserable. We're actually weeping and gnashing of teeth is what we experience. How many, anybody here read, ever read the New Yorker magazine? New Yorker magazine? I know it's not a, a well-known magazine today, or it may be, I don't know, but um, it's a, a magazine that's been published for years, back into the early part of the 1900s. And uh, there's a cartoonist, his name was Bob Mankoff. And Bob was a, a well-known cartoonist for the New Yorker magazine. But when he first started out, he was into comedy. And so he had two options. He wanted to do stand-up comedy, and he also liked doing cartoons. But he found that as he tried each of those things, that he wasn't really good at stand-up comedy, but he loved comedy and he loved this. And so he said, well, I'm really good at being a cartoonist, so I'm going to stop doing stand-up comedy and I'm going to start doing cartoons. And his dream was to get a cartoon published in the New Yorker magazine. 
So he tried, and he did cartoons, and he'd send them in, and he'd get rejection notices and rejection notices. For two years, he tried to get a cartoon published in New Yorker magazine. And after two years of unsuccessfully doing this, he said, i got to figure this out. So what he did was he took an opportunity, and he went to the public library. And when he got to the public library, he looked up every New Yorker magazine all the way back to 1925. And he went through all the cartoons and every issue of the New Yorker magazine. And he took notes and he said, okay, what kind of style? What are they joking about? What's the comedy about? What kind of cartoons are they publishing? He learned as much as he could about all the cartoons that had ever been published in the New Yorker magazine. And then he came to the conclusion that what the New Yorker magazine was looking for was a unique style. So then he began to develop his own unique style as a cartoonist. He needed to stop trying to imitate everybody else. He needed to stop trying to be like every other cartoonist. And he actually had to figure out who God created him to be as a cartoonist, right? And once he figured that out, he began submitting cartoons again. But you know what happened? Rejection. He says he got over 2,000 rejection notices. Think about that. 2,000 cartoons attempts work that gets rejected. And after 2,000, he said over 2,000 rejections, finally they published one cartoon. Yeah, actually, here's an example of Bob Mancor. This is not his first one, but here's uh, one that he did in the New York. It says, if you can't read the caption, it says, and while there's no reason yet to panic, I think it only prudent that we make preparations to panic which is exactly what the steward was doing, right? The third steward, he was panicking, right? And Bob Manko could have panicked all the way along those 2,000 rejections. I don't know about you, but after rejection 10, I probably would have moved on to another career, right? I would have moved on after 10. That's just me, but, but that's the point of the parable. Don't give up, right? Don't hide. <laughs> don't bury it, right? So he, after 2,000 rejections, it finally gets published. One cartoon gets published. The next year, 13 get published. The next year, 27 get published. And the year after that, they offer him a contract to be a cartoonist for the New Yorker magazine. Why? Because he didn't give up. <laughs> See, here's the thing about failure. You only are a failure if you give up. It's not if you make a mistake and, and, and take a risk. That's not, the, that's not failure. If you make a mistake and you take a risk and you learn from that risk and you learn from that mistake then you're not failing. You're only a failure. You and I are only a failure when we give up, when we resign to it, when we say, I'm a failure, and we bury it. That's when we're a failure. That's when we experience misery. But how many times did Bob Mankoff have to get up and write another, draw another cartoon, right? Over 2,000 times. He just kept at it. He just kept honing it. He just kept working. But why? Because he had a passion for it. He had a gift for it. And he was taking every opportunity he could to make it happen, right? That's what good stewardship looks like. <laughs> that's what we do. And that's the point of the parable is to not give up. And here's the thing. Maybe you're sitting here today and you feel like you failed at something. Maybe at work, at life, something. I don't know what it is for you. But I want to let you know one, there's, here's the good news. God does not see you as a failure, ultimately. That if you haven't given up, then you're still, God's still not, God will never see you as a failure. Because God is looking at you, and God will not define you by your mistakes. 
Because if he does, if God does that, we're all in trouble. We're not defined by our mistakes because of Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us, who forgave, we're forgiven for all our failures. Here's the thing. You know, when I introduced my kids, little kids, or if you introduce your kid, what parent goes up and introduces their kid like this? Oh, this is Ethan who wet the bed last night. Or, or this is Sarah who, who lied to her first grade teacher yesterday. I, I don't know many, maybe there is a parent that does that, all right? But a good parent doesn't do that. What does a good parent do? How does a good parent introduce their children? This is my daughter, Sarah. She loves animals and learning about animals. This is my son, Ethan. He loves art, and he loves going to art class. We introduce our kids by what they love, by what they, they're interested in. Maybe that's the way God sees us. In fact, maybe that's the way God wants us to be, and God wants us to live so that we enter into the joy of the Lord, not into the misery of just being a set of hands, right? We've got to figure that out. That's what it looks like to live out the image of God in our careers. Can I tell you about a proud parent moment I had last week? Can I tell you? I don't often share a lot of stories. I don't think I do. Anyway, maybe I'm wrong. Um, but my daughter called up, and um, she just finished her master's degree. She graduated uh, from the Patterson School in, at University of Kentucky in international diplomacy and commerce. She wants to go into international development, blah, 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 blah. It's a lot of, it's a big thing. Um, but she got offered a full-time job working for a place. She's been interning for a financial company, a financial analytics company. They analyze the stock market, and they... They're working on all kinds of global deals and everything. It's all about finance. And she's been offered a full-time position, you know, full-time, full salary. means dad doesn't have to pay for anything anymore. And she's been, got, got this, and it's a great opportunity. And uh, she calls up, say, dad, what do, what do you think? And I was like, well, what do you think? You know, this is your decision, not my decision. And uh, we're talking it through and we're talking about it. And and I, you know, on the one hand, as a parent, you're like, this is what you raise your kids for. You know, get a job, right? You know, go to work, right? Live on your own. Get off of my, my payroll, right? You know, but there's other person that says, you know, this, my daughter's a whole person. And as she's talking about it, she's like, dad, I'm, I'm not going to take the job. You know, there's part of you as a parent going, what? You're going to give up that money, Right? But then she says this. She says, Dad, it won't feed my soul. It won't feed my soul. I was like, that's wise. <laughs> she understood that she was called to do something else. <laughs> she realized, she's like, as great as this would be, as great as the money would be, great all this stuff would be, it's not what God's called me to do. <laughs> she says, I want to do international development. I want to make a difference in the world around me. I want to help people who are in need and who are in broken systems I want to go change the world, basically. That's going to feed my soul. And I was like, that's a proud parent moment. Because why? Because it's like, yes, right? That's maturity. That's adulthood, by the way. But that's also someone listening to the call of God for her life, right? Are you listening to the call of God for your life, for your gifts, for your opportunities? Is, are you experiencing the joy of the Lord? 
where you're at. Because that's what God wants for you. God wants that for you so badly. Let's pray together.